join me in a spirit of prayer. Gathered together again as a class in this sacred space, four years now past, quite the same people as they were before, and yet not at all. We give thanks for the seniors before us. In these pews have gone before them generations of men and women so like them, seekers of knowledge and of wisdom, curious of mind and heart, who have left this chapel to use what they learned at Princeton to build their own lives of integrity and service and meaning. May our seniors always know that, like those who have come before, they go forth with our trust, our confidence, our affection. May this lovely hour of contemplation and all these final hours together strengthen all our commitment to be servants of truth, seekers of justice, lovers of mercy. Amen. Please be seated. Good afternoon on this beautiful day, and welcome to Princeton University's 263rd baccalaureate service. This is one of our university's oldest traditions, stretching back to a time when the president used the occasion to preach a sermon. Luckily for all of you, the baccalaureate address is now delivered by a speaker proposed by the senior class. But while this service, like Princeton as a whole, has changed in many ways, it has retained its fundamental purpose, to give you an opportunity to reflect on your time here and the myriad ways in which these years have shaped your understanding of our world and your place within it. This is a moment sandwiched between the hoopla of reunions and the pomp and circumstance of commencement to give thanks for those who encouraged you and helped to bring you to this day. Each of you will have a different list of names, but all will include professors who inspired you, classmates who sustained you, and deans, coaches, conductors, advisors, chaplains, and a host of other mentors to whom you turned for guidance and support. And topping this list are the parents, grandparents, brothers and sisters, second cousins twice removed, and all the friends and family whose faith in your capacity to thrive never wavered. You lived up to their high expectations and made our university community a more rewarding and exciting place for all. Thank you for sharing the last four years or more of your lives with us, and my thanks to everyone for joining us today. From the writings of the founder of Sikhism, Sri Guru Nanak Dev Ji. Contemplate and reflect upon knowledge. 
so you will become a benefactor to others. Acquire that education which inspires humility and service to humanity. O my mind, meditate on such wisdom and become a slave to the true Lord. I haven't appreciated what you have done for me, O Lord. Only you can make me worthy. O Nanak, if I am blessed with the name of the Lord, I live, and my mind and body blossom forth. Chapter 93 of the Holy Quran, first in Arabic, then in English. A'udhu billahi minash rajim Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim Wadduha Wallayni idha saja Ma wadda'aka rabbuka wa ma qala Walal akhiratu khayrun laka minal awla Walasawfa yu'tika rabbuka fatarda Alam yajidka yatiman fa'awa وَوَجَدَكَ ذَالًا فَهَدَى وَوَجَدَكَ آلًا فَأَغْنَى فَأَمَّا الْيَتِيمَ فَلَا تَقْهَرْ وَأَمَّا السَّائِلَ فَلَا تَنْهَرْ وَأَمَّا بِنِعْمَةِ رَبَّكَ فَحَدَّثْ In the name of God, the most gracious, the most merciful. By the glorious morning light and by the night when it is still, Your guardian Lord has not forsaken you, nor is he displeased. And verily the hereafter will be better for you than the present. And soon will your guardian Lord give you that with which you shall be well pleased. Did he not find you an orphan and give you shelter and care? And he found you wandering and he gave you guidance. And he found you in need and made you independent. Therefore, treat not the orphan with harshness, nor repulse him who asks. But the bounty of the Lord rehearse and proclaim. Please join me responsively. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows forth God's handiwork. Although they have no words or language, and their voices are not heard, in the deep has God set a pavilion for the sun. It comes forth like a bridegroom out of his chamber. It rejoices like a champion to run its course. The law of the Lord is perfect and revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure and gives wisdom to the innocent. The fear of the Lord is clean and endures forever. 
the judgment of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. reading from James. But be doers of the word, and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror. For they look at themselves and, going on away, immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, They will be blessed in their doing. If any think they are religious and do not bridle their tongues but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world.
It is hard to imagine life without Amazon.com. <laughs> Even for someone of my advanced age. After all, where else can a few clicks of a mouse take you from the latest novel by Toni Morrison to an 18th century edition of the works of John Locke, having stopped in power tools and women's shoes along the way. Yet the founder and chief executive officer of the world's largest e-tailer, whose net sales surpassed $24.5 billion in 2009, is only 46 years old. And Amazon.com has only existed since 1995, making it even younger than the class of 2010. The moral of this story is that the right idea, in the right hands, at the right time, can change the way we lead our lives. The idea, in this case, was harnessing the power of the nascent Internet to create a virtual bookstore of limitless proportions. The hands were those of our speaker, Jeff Bezos, a self-described nerdy computer science and electrical engineering major who graduated from Princeton with highest honors in 1986. And the time was 1994 when he and his wife, Mackenzie Tuttle Bezos, of the class of 1992, exchanged the security of Wall Street, where they worked at D.E. Shaw & Company, for the uncertain prospects of a dot-com startup. But then, as Jeff points out, failure is an essential component of innovation and invention. If you know it's going to work, it's not an experiment. And Amazon.com was nothing if not a grand experiment. Working on improvised tables in the garage of his Seattle home and using his parents' savings as startup capital, Jeff defied the forces that cause most young companies to fail. Partly, he admits, through sheer good fortune, but also because of his unwavering determination to create the world's most customer-centric company. And as he notes in his company's latest annual report, of the 452 goals that Amazon.com has set for itself this year, 360 of them will directly affect the customer experience, while the word revenue is used on only eight occasions. I do not advise you to start off with 452 goals this year, by the way. But this is just one of the keys to Jeff's success. Another lies in his exceptional ability to marry commerce and technology in creative ways, in his sheer inventiveness and willingness to take the risks inherent in this process. Indeed, the history of Amazon.com is one of daring leaps. One such leap involved creating the capacity to search inside the books sold by his company not by designing a modest pilot project, but by committing the resources to make it possible to scour the text of more than 120,000 volumes 
when this feature debuted in 2003. Other innovations have included one-click shopping, online product reviews by customers, and of course, the Kindle reading device, which we test drove in three courses this fall. Mirroring the rapid growth of Amazon itself, the number of books available through the U.S. Kindle store topped 460,000 in 2009, just two years after its launch. And there's no turning back. Our vision is every book, every printed, in any language, all available in less than 60 seconds, Jeff has stated. An audacious pr proposition, to be sure. But as Al Albert Einstein once observed, if at first the idea is not absurd, then there is no hope for it. Perhaps the American Academy of Achievement summarized our speaker's impact best when it noted, having already revolutionized the way the world buys books, Jeff Bezos is now transforming the way we read them as well. I like to think that Princeton helped to lay the groundwork for this revolution. Dreamer and doer, entrepreneur and engineer, refreshingly unassuming even in the face of unimaginable success, Jeff has done his alma mater proud. It is a true honor and pleasure to welcoming him back to Old Nassau today. As a kid, I spent my summers with my grandparents on their ranch in Texas. I helped fix windmills, vaccinate cattle, and do other chores. We also watched soap operas every afternoon, especially days of our lives. My grandparents belonged to a caravan club, a group of Airstream trailer owners who travel together around the U.S. and Canada. And every few summers, we'd join the caravan. We'd hitch up the Airstream to my grandfather's car, and off we'd go, in a line with 300 other Airstream adventurers. I loved and worshipped my grandparents. And I really looked forward to these trips. On one particular trip, I was about 10 years old. I was rolling around in the big bench seat in the back of the car. My grandfather was driving, and my grandmother had the passenger seat. She smoked throughout these trips, and I hated the smell. 
At that age, I'd take any excuse to make estimates and do minor arithmetic. I'd calculate our gas mileage, figure out useless statistics on things like grocery spending. I'd been hearing an ad campaign about smoking. I can't remember the details, but basically the ad said, every puff of a cigarette takes some number of minutes off of your life. I think it might have been two minutes per puff. At any rate, I decided to do the math for my grandmother. I estimated the number of cigarettes per day, estimated the number of puffs per cigarette, and so on. When I was satisfied that I'd come up with a reasonable number, I poked my head into the front of the car, tapped my grandmother on the shoulder, and proudly proclaimed, at two minutes per puff, you've taken nine years off of your life. I have a very vivid memory of what happened next. And it was not what I had expected. I expected to be applauded for my cleverness and my arithmetic skills. Jeff, you're so smart. You had to have made some tricky estimates. Figure out the number of minutes in a year and do some division. That's not what happened. Instead, my grandmother burst into tears. I sat in the back seat. I didn't know what to do while my grandmother was crying. My grandfather, who'd been driving in silence, pulled over onto the shoulder of the highway. He got out of the car and came around and opened my door and waited for me to follow. Was I in trouble? My grandfather was a highly intelligent, quiet man. He had never said a harsh word to me, and maybe this was to be the first time. Or maybe he would ask that I get back in the car and apologize to my grandmother. I had no experience in this realm with my grandparents and no way to gauge what the consequences might be. We stopped beside the trailer. My grandfather looked at me, and after a bit of silence, he gently and calmly said, Jeff, one day you'll understand that it's harder to be kind than clever. What I want to talk to you about today is the difference between gifts and choices. Cleverness is a gift. Kindness is a choice. Gifts are easy. They're given, after all. Choices can be hard. You can seduce yourself with your gifts if you're not careful. And if you do, it'll probably be to the detriment of your choices. This is a group with many gifts. I'm sure one of your gifts is the gift of a smart and capable brain. I'm confident that's the case because admission is competitive. And if there weren't some signs that you're clever, the dean of admissions wouldn't have let you in. Your smarts will come in handy because you will travel in a land of marvels. We humans, plodding as we are, will astonish ourselves. 
We'll invent ways to generate clean energy and a lot of it. Atom by atom, we'll assemble small machines that can enter cell walls and make repairs. This month comes the extraordinary but inevitable news that we've synthesized life. In the coming years, we'll not only synthesize it, but engineer it to specifications. I believe you'll even see us understand the human brain. Jules Verne, Mark Twain, Galileo, Newton, all the curious from the ages would have wanted to be alive, most of all, right now. As a civilization, we will have so many gifts, just as you as individuals have so many individual gifts as you sit before me. How will you use these gifts? And will you take pride in your gifts or pride in your choices? I got the idea to start Amazon 16 years ago. I came across the fact that web usage was growing at 2,300% per year. I had never seen or heard of anything that grew that fast. The idea of building an online bookstore with millions of titles, something that simply couldn't exist in the physical world, was very exciting to me. I just turned 30 years old, and I'd been married for a year. I told my wife, Mackenzie, that I wanted to quit my job and go do this crazy thing that probably wouldn't work since most startups don't, and I wasn't sure what would happen after that. Mackenzie, also a Princeton grad and sitting here in the second row, told me I should go for it. As a young boy, I'd been a garage inventor. I'd invented an automatic gate closer out of cement-filled tires, a solar cooker that didn't work very well out of an umbrella and aluminum foil, (laughs) baking pan alarms to entrap my siblings. I'd always wanted to be an inventor, and she wanted me to follow my passion. I was working at a financial firm in New York City with a bunch of very smart people and I had a brilliant boss I much admired. I went to my boss and told him I was going to start a company selling books on the internet. He took me on a long walk in Central Park, listened carefully to me, and finally said, that sounds like a really good idea, but it would be an even better idea for someone who didn't already have a good job. That logic made some sense to me, and he convinced me to think about it for 48 hours before making a final decision. Seen in that light, it really was a difficult choice, but ultimately, I decided I had to give it a shot. I didn't think I'd regret trying and failing, and I suspected I would always be haunted by a decision to not try at all. After much consideration, I took the less safe path to follow my passion, and I'm proud of that choice. Tomorrow, in a very real sense, your life, the life you author from scratch on your own, begins. How will you use your gifts? What choices will you make? Will inertia be your guide, 
or will you follow your passions? Will you follow dogma or will you be original? Will you choose a life of ease or a life of service and adventure? Will you wilt under criticism or will you follow your convictions? Will you bluff it out when you're wrong or will you apologize? Will you guard your heart against rejection or will you act when you fall in love? Will you play it safe or will you be a little bit swashbuckling? When it's tough, will you give up or will you be relentless? Will you be a cynic or will you be a builder? Will you be clever at the expense of others? Or will you be kind? I will hazard a prediction. When you are 80 years old, and in a quiet moment of reflection, narrating for only yourself the most personal version of your life story, the telling that will be most compact and meaningful will be the series of choices you have made. In the end, we are our choices. Build yourself a great story. Thank you and good luck. Please stand for the prayers of the people. Blessed are you, O God, creator of life. You give us purpose and hope. Blessed are you, eternal truth. You give us minds to know you in the things that you have made. Blessed are you, source of all mercy. You know our weaknesses and are always ready to forgive. Blessed are you, lover of souls. You bind in one community the living and the dead. Blessed are you, wellspring of all wisdom. Let us pray together the prayer for Princeton. O eternal God, the source of life and light for all peoples, 
we pray you would endow this university with your grace and wisdom. Give inspiration and understanding to those who teach and to those who learn. Grant vision to its trustees and its administrators. To all who work here and to all who bear her name, give your guiding spirit, sacrificial courage, and loving service. Amen. Please remain standing for the blessings. A Christian blessing. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. A Jewish blessing. May it be your will, Lord our God and God of our ancestors, to lead us to peace, direct our steps to peace, guide us to peace, and bring us to our desired destination in life, joy, and peace. Rescue us from any enemy or ambush on the way and from all afflictions that trouble the world. Send blessing to the work of our hands and let us find grace, kindness, and compassion from you and from all who see us. Blessed are you, Lord, who listens to prayer. A Christian blessing from the Catholic tradition. One of the deepest forms of poverty a person can experience is isolation. If we look closely at other kinds of poverty, we see that they are born from isolation, from not being loved, or from difficulties in being able to love. Poverty is often produced by rejection of God's love, by man's basic and tragic tendency to close in on himself, thinking himself to be self-sufficient or merely an insignificant and ephemeral fact, a stranger in a random universe. The development of peoples depends, above all, on a recognition that the human race is a single family working together in true communion not simply a group of subjects who happen to live side by side. A Hindu blessing, first in Sanskrit, then in English. Om Sahana Vavatu Sahanao Bunaktu Sahaviryam karavavahai Tejasvi navadita mastu mavidvishavahai Om shanti 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 Om, let us protect each other together. May we enjoy together. May we work 
together. Let our study become radiant. Let there be no hatred between us. Om, peace, peace, peace. Receive now this benediction. May the cherisher of dreams, sustainer of hopes, ever-present immortal companion on the way, bless you to daringly dream dreams into being, enable you to give voice to visions, and ordain you to fulfill your destiny in the world. May an abiding awareness and the long stretch of memory always remind you that you stand upon the shoulders of others. And legacy demands that you live courageous lives, teeming with meaning and purpose on the good days and the good days. May you know an indescribable force, an indispensable strength with you and in you on life's journey, as you face the uncertain and inevitable realities of life, and you will. My young friends, go forth to offer the breadth and depth of your intellectual gifts and graces and usher into being the spirit of Tekun Ha Olam, which means to repair the world. If not you, then who? If not now, then when? Godspeed. Amen. <laughs>